Pastor Terry, you were opening us up on Sunday night, and we're so honored to have you back with us. And I know you brought some people. You introduced them. And look, um, aren't you all comfortable with me just saying, like, here's the mic, Pastor Terry, do your thing, right? Come on. Give her a big hand. Come on. I got you. Will you help me down? <laughs> I need a I have these wedge sandals on. Otherwise, I could step onto something twice this tall. When I wear wedge sandals, it's the same way. <laughs> How about when we gather in his name, he's in the midst of us? Come on, the one who spins the earth on his axis. Like he's here and he sees every single one of you. Like that's not just something we say. That's the reality of who God is. I'm thankful to be a part of this, these series of services. What a privilege to open on Sunday. And it, it, well, I didn't open, you opened, but Sunday night to be kind of on the front end. And it was more of a plowing night, and that's a privilege. I had the opportunity to meet with Pastor Paul and Wendy uh, just before our time together. We, we shared a meal, and they were catching me up on the way the Lord's moved in your midst. Isn't he so generous? He's so faithful. He's so kind. And he wants to move in our midst. I'm not saying that to work you up. If I've, I've been doing this long enough to know that there isn't the ability to work you up enough to bring about change. I don't want that. I, I had a dream years ago. I was um, at a church, and I can still picture that church building. And in the dream, everything I said, the crowd was going crazy. People were waving handkerchiefs. It was like everything that came out of my mouth was gold. That's how I knew it was a dream because that never happens to me. But I woke up from the dream. My heart was racing, and I said, Lord, what are you speaking? And he said this. He said, Terry, I never want you to entertain people with the truth. Because then it becomes about you. I want you to speak the truth and let me do the work. So he's here. He's moving. We uh, have been talking about and praying about this final night with all of you. My friend Summer is here again. She and her husband are elders at the refuge. She was with me Sunday. Then Mary Biven, my other friend, she is part of our team. She gives oversight to outreach and our volunteer ministry. Just wave. And then two other elders at our church, Bishop and Tony Hall. You'll hear from Bishop in just a little bit. But they were in the ministry for over 40 years. Now they minister to pastors all over the country. And they felt directed by God to be here tonight. So much so that I changed my message so that Bishop Tony and I could do this together. But I changed my message because I believe the Lord wanted to speak something very specific. So when we had our meal together, and I'm, I feel like I'm supposed to share this, I asked Pastor Paul what his favorite thing about Wendy was. His face turned a little red, and he said the first thing he thought of he didn't think he could say. <laughs> but a few moments ago, when Wendy was kneeling in the altar, he came over and said the answer to your question a bit ago, that is my favorite thing. As soon as he said it, I'm telling you, I heard the Lord say, mine too. Here's the reality, and I'm going to open this way because I feel like I'm supposed to. 
You have a bridegroom king that has favorite things about you. I want you to hear me, church. Doesn't matter the perversion you're in. It doesn't matter the sin you're in. It doesn't matter how far you've wandered. Oh, that matters to God. But in terms of him having a favorite thing about what he made, it applies to every one of you. And in the midst of that, when he speaks his favorite thing about us, he also then says, there's a few things that I want to call you out of. Do you understand that both are incredibly generous? So I want to pray just over my time with you, and I'm going to ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to invade every one of you. I can actually see your faces right now. As the night gets darker, all I will see is a light, and it will feel like I am preaching into the darkness. That's what happened Sunday. It was really cool. I liked it a lot. Not really. Um, but but I, as I can see you now, I'm going to pray And I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to each one of you. Now, it's going to be harder for some of you than others because of the self-deprecation that you tend to live in. But the Lord wants to whisper to you his favorite thing. So, Lord, I pray right now for every man and woman. I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they might know you better. And I ask right now for you to whisper into the ears of your sons and daughters, hey, by the way, this is my favorite thing about you. Come on, just listen for a moment. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. God, I pray that you would call your people higher as you speak to them what you think of them. Because here's the truth about you, the who we are right now, you cannot separate from the who we're becoming. Thank you for that, Lord, that you don't identify us with who we are. You look at Peter, who would betray you, who would deny you, who would put his foot in his mouth, who would always speak out of turn. You looked at him and said, I don't call you Simon, I call you Peter, because you're the rock that's not easily moved. And you knew every time he would be moved. That is who you are. You cannot separate the who we're becoming from the who we are right now. And I pray, God, that you would make that a reality in every heart. And if you're thankful for that about the Lord, will you give him praise right now? Amen. Amen. So so as the sun is setting tonight, we are entering into the Jewish feast. It's a marked day on God's calendar called Yom Kippur. We're in the 10 days of awe. This is the day we are entering in, in this session, the third day, into the Day of Atonement. It was a repentance for a nation. There are people all over the world fasting for Israel to see Yeshua as Messiah. It is a corporate repentance. But how many of you know there is no such thing as a corporate repentance if individuals aren't repenting? We need a cleansing from the tops of our heads to the soles of our feet, stopping putting forth an image that we want other people to see in the age of social media. He he wants an authentic bride that's authentic and wholehearted in her love, and he will have it. So as we look at this marked time on God's calendar, I'm not trying to Judaize us. I'm not trying to you know, weirdly push on you the Jewish holidays, but God is very intentional about his calendar. 
Jesus was crucified during Passover, that date that the Jews were already celebrating. He was resurrected during the first fruits. The Holy Spirit descended and divided into tongues of fire. On the day of Pentecost, all of the men that were gathered from different lands, speaking different languages from all over the region were gathered because of a feast and appointed time. And then the Lord said, I love breaking in on my appointed times. What if as we repent tonight, revival comes, right? He said, repent. Why? That times of refreshing may come. It's the kindness of God. We don't repent so that we all feel terrible about ourselves. We repent because we have a Father that loves to see us run to Him. And when we do, He picks up His cloak just like the father of the prodigal and He goes running. He doesn't need to know the story of everything His Son has been in. But He turns when, and runs whenever our heart turns towards Him. That's what the day of atonement is when we turn our hearts and say my God I have blown it I have thought wrong I have seen wrong I have operated wrong and then he comes and surrounds us and says well it's the thing that I died for this is the what we're gathered in today and I do want to at least share this much of what my original message was going to be I really uh felt to talk to you about the encounter stories, how God moves in revivals. And I've seen measures of it in my lifetime. But I had something happen a few weeks ago. It was on a Wednesday night. I was early for church because my daughter was babysitting uh, a few little girls in the church while others uh, were meeting. Their parents were meeting with one of our pastors. So I came early. I put my daughter in my office with a couple of the girls. I was sitting in the conference room. And there was one of our young men that walked by. I greeted him. I could hear something wasn't right in his voice. I called him to where I was. I began to pray for him. And I saw one of the most intense and heartbreaking demonic encounters that I have ever faced. This is with a beautiful kid that I love a lot. He started throwing things. I was dodging chairs and trash cans. Trust me, I am not exaggerating. My daughter heard it in the office next door. She thought it was a shooter. She called the police. It was no joke. We were shaken to the core, but God came. I called on one of the other pastors that happened to be there. I walked over to my computer. I didn't even know where my phone was. I texted him. He came, and we prayed heaven down as we asked the, asked the Lord to step in as the enemy had a vice grip on this kid that is an awesome kid. So on the drive home, my daughter, who was very shaken, she felt responsible for these young girls. This is not something I would normally tell. It's really too fresh for me to even tell it. But the Lord was very clear that I was to share it with you. So as she's in the room next door, she doesn't know it's a demonic manifestation because we're in the office hallway of our church. She's hearing horrible profanities being shouted at me. She's hearing chairs slammed against the doors. No one that would be in that hallway would speak that way. It had to be an intruder. She called the police. Then she felt terrible that maybe she had done the wrong thing, which actually she had done the right thing. We ministered to the little girls. I ministered to my daughter. We prayed the whole way home. And she had a lot of questions because she knew the young man who had been tormented in this way. How do people that know Jesus, uh, 
have these kinds of things happen. And I just didn't have a direct answer for her, but I started to tell her stories of things that I saw during the Brownsville revival, my brother being one of the leaders of the revival. He gave oversight to the school with Dr. Brown. He was one of the few school staff that would preach on a Sunday. He was an incredible and is an incredible man of God. Summer, who's with me, was a part of his ministry, was part of that revival. Those meetings, those revival meetings, the things I saw there, the things I saw God do marked my life, the trajectory of my life. I was a pastor in Concord. I was on a pastoral team. Some of my friends from First Assembly are here. We would take buses down to the revival, and God met us in ways I cannot even describe. I personally, even though I didn't live there, I went many, many, many times, and I could tell you story after story. So I start telling my daughter about some of the spiritual activity we saw, because when the Lord pours out his spirit, there are things that come to the surface, right? Those demons that we've been petting, and this isn't a discussion about oppression versus Uh, demon possession and what do we believe and what's true all I know is when people's hearts are turned towards the Lord and a spirit comes to possess oppress whatever you call it we stand in the authority and tell that thing to go but through it the Lord goes deep and that's what he's doing with this young man that was the one that I encountered just a couple of weeks ago he's going deep the Lord is ministering to his heart he's touching on wounds that he has carried for decades from his childhood because nothing is ever wasted and the Lord is leaving no stone unturned. He is pushing on those things in our hearts that we keep hidden. So I was telling my daughter this, and I was telling her the stories of uh, things that happened on our bus trips down there and demons that would manifest and the deliverances that happened. And, oh, it was glorious and hard and beautiful and some of the most taxing days of my life, but I would say yes to it every day from now on, irregardless of how taxing it was. So as I'm telling her about this, she says, why have you never told me about this? She's 16 years old. I've never talked to her about the waters of revival that I experienced in Brownsville. So I repented to her. We started to pull up old messages from Brownsville, and together we wept in my bed. We cried out. We asked for the God of revival to come again, not because we don't want to be bored in church but because we want to be transformed. He will have a bride that represents him. That's what revival is about. You want to know the prerequisite for revival? It's repentance. Repent that times of refreshing might come. Lord, we abandon our ways. We abandon our preferences, our comforts, because we want you more than we want anything. So in tears, I repented to my daughter. This is embarrassing. 16 years old, my greatest God encounters you don't even know about. So I was just going to tell you some of those encounters today. But the, not this morning, but yesterday morning, I woke up with this passage in Revelation 3. I'm going to read it to you in a moment. And then Bishop Tony and I kind of had a happenstance text exchange. He learned I was speaking, felt compelled to be here. And I know that he needs to impart to you guys. And this is a message that on some level we've done together. So the Lord confirmed it in this way. But not this morning, but yesterday morning, which was just hours before Bishop Tony and I talked, he spoke to me out of Revelation 3. He said, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. 
Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I, not the devil, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. Here's the reality. He will have watchmen. I had a, I woke up kind of from a vision multiple years ago, and it was, it was in that time. I wasn't actually asleep. I was coming out of sleep. It's kind of that, it's not twilight when you're waking up, but whatever that time is that it's revelatory, you know what I'm talking about? Just before you fall asleep or right as you're waking up, it's like when you remember you didn't put the clothes in the dryer, right? It's that, like all of a sudden you remember something you didn't do. Well, God often speaks in those times at least he does to me, but I know it's not only me. And so I saw this picture of a groom standing at the altar, looking at his watch, looking at the back door, like waiting for his bride, kind of like in Runaway Bride, you know, where she's off running away on the horse while he's standing at the altar. I have this picture, bridal picture, you know, that's common in kind of these circles of end time preparation. But my heart was racing. I knew he was about to speak something new to me. So I said, Lord, what are you saying? What? And I knew he had me focusing in on that groom, looking at his watch, wondering if his bride was coming. And I said, what, Lord, what are you saying? He said, Terry, this is what I'm saying. That groom at the front of that altar, that will not be me. He said, I will have a bride that comes running. He is lighting a church on fire. And I'm telling you, as you've even received prophetic ministry over the last couple of nights, that is the Lord loving on you. That is Him, His kindness being extended to you. But that can't be all that it is. It needs to mobilize us and ravish our hearts with greater love. Maybe you've been in the meetings and you've seen others ministered to, and maybe you feel overlooked. Listen, this is how you're not overlooked. That when you see a sign of the bridegroom, you come running. He wants to touch his church. That is the essence of the message I was going to bring. You're welcome. There you go. Message number one. Now we're going into message number two. Thank you, Pastor Paul. I'll be speaking to about this time tomorrow. Just kidding. The Lord came in glory and power in these revivals, these outpourings all over the world, but more than just these expressions of his glory on earth, he touches the inside out. This is what I watched him do during those waters and those fires of revival. So we're going to talk about when the Lord moves and when he wants to touch us from the inside out. My husband is a builder. He's an incredible builder. He's a craftsman, an artist. He's amazing at what he does. Unbelievable. And I'm not just saying that because he's really handsome. And he is that too. And he's not even watching this. So I'm just saying it because I feel inspired by Paul and Wendy and the things Paul couldn't say at the table. <laughs> But in March, we started a renovation in our bathroom and our bedroom, some in our closet, because of water damage. I won't go into all the details of this, but because of the way the building market is right now, it's harder to get the trades there in a consistent flow. So it took many months for this renovation. 
It's kind of like the cobbler's kids have no shoes. The builder's wife waits and waits and waits. But that whole area was in complete chaos. Floors exposed at times, walls exposed, things completely torn down. We had to move to a different part of the house. And whenever I would walk through that part of the house, I would beg the question, how is this better than what was? Are you hearing me? Sometimes when the Lord comes to renovate us and he starts to turn over stones so that he can go deep, we can say, how is this better than what was? But the reality is for him to go deep into those things that need to be repaired, for the damage to be removed, and to get an upgrade. And my, did we get a good upgrade. I have a couple of witnesses that have seen it. It is beautiful. It's worth the wait, but I couldn't have told you that in the moment. The Lord comes and he dismantles things so that he can renovate them. And he does it from the inside out. And the way his nature is as the craftsman and artist that he is, is to give us an upgrade. So I want you to know that is what he is after, gathering church and those that are here from other churches. The reality is true for you and I just as it was with my bedroom and bathroom. It often, if not always, gets worse before it gets better. Because he's renovating you from the inside out. Maybe the mysteries of heaven were spoken over your individual life last night or the night before. And then all hell broke loose. Have you ever had that happen? Because when the renovation becomes, you know, Chip Gaines gets all excited about demo day, right? That's because it's not his house, right? There is this destruction. It's like we're brought down to the studs of the structure. And we say, God, how could this be better? This is painful. I want to go back to how it was because at least then there was some semblance of completion. Is there anyone that can relate to what I'm talking about tonight? I want to talk to you about renovation when he renovates us from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all say all, with unveiled face, continually seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and are progressively being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to even more glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul is in this dissertation from about 2 Corinthians 2 to about 2 Corinthians 5 where he's addressing the transformation of the believer. That's all of us. He talks about how as believers we move from redemption being bought out of darkness, the cycles of sin, when we're on a track to death and destruction, and he redeems us, he snatches us out, and then he sanctifies us every day, cleansing us, making us have right standing, that we might be prepared for our glorious and eternal life in the everlasting kingdom. Paul talks about this for several chapters in 2 Corinthians. He's addressing more specifically the move of the people of God from old covenant glory into new covenant glory. Both old covenant glory and new covenant glory have astonishing splendor. I mean, the old covenant glory, the law, that's the root of our Christian faith. It's the glory 
that was experienced when the finger of God wrote on those tablets of stone, bringing order to the people of God that the glory of God could rest because the glory of God only rests when people have their lives in order. I'm not talking about that he doesn't move and bring transformation, but I'm talking about the display of his glory is done in the context of order. And so the old covenant glory is the law is given, but he's saying I'm actually moving you from old covenant glory into new covenant glory. There was a glory of the old covenant. But just like the stone it was written on, the law was inflexible and absolute, and that was by design. Though holy, the law was holy, it was good, it was righteous in itself. But for us as sinners, it was the letter that kills. Come on, somebody. It was a death sentence. Why? Because God's intention was for the law to be a temporary guardian until we were moved into the new covenant glory. Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law, I will move it from stone and I will put it within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 2 Corinthians 3, 3. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Our obedience to God springs up within us God-given desires to be righteous rather than the fear or the threat of legal punishment. Do you see the difference? He never wanted us to operate out of the threat of legal punishment, but we had to feel the weight of the law so that the new covenant glory could free us from the law, yet it's written on our hearts and we're compelled because our hearts are tender and right and good. That's new covenant glory. And Paul says, I'm moving you from the old covenant glory to the new covenant glory. In place of a guide for pleasing God, we now have the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit making their home within us, fellowshipping and loving intimacy, teaching us, equipping us. But the new covenant glory can only be seen with spiritual eyes. New covenant glory has supernatural power to transform us. It's not because Jesus did away with the law, he actually fulfilled it. He didn't make new covenant glory easier to follow. As a matter of fact, he made it impossible, right? Before I said don't commit adultery, now I'm saying not even to look at a woman with lustful eyes. Before I said in the old covenant don't murder, now I'm telling you not even to be angry. They're impossible standards except Jesus comes and rests on us and propels us towards righteousness. In other words, he gives us what we need to live out the glory and the freedom of the new covenant. God's ultimate purpose and destination for every believer is to transform us into the image of his son. So here Paul is in these chapters of talking about being transformed from glory to glory. And at the end of this discourse in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he makes a final astonishing claim. If anyone is in Christ, he's a, new he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. So it's an invitation. 
for our lives to be radically transformed here and now by opening our eyes to see the glorious one. He's taking us on a journey from glory to glory. In other words, we're so struck by his glory that we say, the way you walk, I want to walk. Where you go, I want to go. And he is kissing a church that says, I have tasted the mixture. I have experienced the greatest comforts. I have had the accolades. I know what it means to really live according to the world. But what I see, that beauty on his face, the presence that comes, that thing that we feel, that we just want to stay there forever, far outweighs any temporal glory according to the word of God. He's renovating his church so that we can learn what it looks like for the walls behind the surface to not be eaten with water damage or mold or termites or a a, a cracked foundation. He's renovating his church and he's doing it from the inside out. All right, I'm gonna take a quick nap. Sorry, I'm giving it all I have here. Come on guys, let's lean in and receive what he's saying. In Psalm 139, David says, he has this revelation And it's what you were being invited to when I first got up here. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. What do you believe God's thoughts are about you? If you were going to have lunch with him tomorrow, what do you think it would be like? What do you think he would say to you? What do you perceive his thoughts to be of you? How vast is the sum of them? If I were to count them, they would be more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. So he's having this revelation of this majestic and powerful and beautiful God who chooses to dwell with people. And the first thing that comes out of him is, oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Can anyone relate to this? (laughs) Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you, God, with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. It's like this indignation that's rising up in him. Like, I love you so much, God. And I can't stand what people do to your name. He's addressing his enemies. He's saying, David is saying how he feels about them. You ever do this? You bring your complaints to God? about how things are in the world, these bloodthirsty men, these religious system, these political corruption, the religious corruption, the systemic problems, what's wrong politically, what, you know, what's happened to our nation and all those things that we announce. Oh God, you're so great, so now let me talk about everyone that hurts you. Because David, his immediate response is to address external issues. His immediate response is to address the enemies without. That's our human nature. But when God's going to renovate us in true transformation, he wants us to pivot from that. Not that those things aren't important. We need to be watchful. We need to pay attention to what's happening in America and in our political system and in the geopolitical scene. But more than that, right, it's easy to be compelled to talk about the issues and they are issues, late-term abortion, right? The, the, 
the, the agenda of these different movements and all the arguments over same-sex marriage and what should or shouldn't be legal and what's fair and not fair and all of those things. And we get caught up in it. We see the majesty of God. And then we think about all the enemies without that should be dealt with. Can anyone relate? But then David pivots and he says, wait a minute. I need to look a little deeper to the enemies within I need to move from the enemy to the inner me. He has this revelation. Nothing changes until I do. And in that same psalm, he goes on to say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He wants the invitation. Does the Lord know everything in your heart? Yeah. Every thought you've had tonight, every positive thing you've thought about Terry Fur, and every negative thing, he's heard it all. And by the way, he's told me. Just kidding. <laughs> he knows every thought, a word before it's even on your tongue, he knows it. So he doesn't need your permission to search you. He's already searched you. So why is David praying it? Because he's saying, God... When he says, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me, he's saying, tell me what you know about me, God, so I can be transformed. Yeah, he wants to send revival, but he wants to deal with the inner me before he wants to deal with the enemy. Now Luke 17, sermon number three. I'll work a deal with you on the honorarium. <laughs> I actually never make jokes like that. All right. Just trying to ease the intensity. Thank you, Bishop. Luke 17, the story of the ten lepers. I'm going to read the story. I'm going to give you four very brief points out of the story because I don't want to put more in than the Lord wants to put in tonight. I've already said a ton. I said a lot more than I thought I was going to say. But he wants to send revival. But he wants us to throw ourselves on him. He wants us not looking at the bridesmaids or the groomsmen, but running towards the groom, saying, no, you're not going to wonder if I'm coming because you will have me, a bride, as wholehearted in my love for you as your love is for me. And as we are captured by his beauty, as we are captured by his kindness, there will be no striving. Because he's moving us from old covenant glory to new covenant glory. I hope that's making sense. Luke 17, 11 through 19, the only account of this particular story written by Luke the physician, recorded by Luke the physician, written by the Holy Spirit. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. He stood at a they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? 
Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. We don't know the names of these ten lepers. Actually, the, the story of the leper in Mark 1, the one leper, the man with leprosy that came to Jesus and begged to be healed. So that makes 11 lepers in the New Testament. We don't know any of their names. We only know these men based on their issue. All right, that's the context. Now I'm going to give you four takeaways that we need to know if we're going to be renovated from the inside out. Number one, your issue, friends, is not your identity. I'm going to say it again. Your issue is not your identity. Stop being impressed with your issue because Jesus isn't. The identities of the ten lepers were completely consumed by their issue. I want you to hear me. God doesn't love us despite our flaws. He loves us because of them. Someone needs to hear that tonight. He loves us because of them. It's his nature to work all things together for his good if we love him. He makes my weakness his place of strength. He determines to set up and dwell in the midst of my broken praise. Let that breathe for a moment. He determines to set up and dwell in the midst of your broken praise. There's always a temptation in life to over-identify either with our issue or our giftings. Both are a problem. If we're really good at something, we learn in life to perform in such a way that we receive the praise of people. Or if we have an issue... We refuse vulnerability and we hide behind an exterior that is either hard with bitterness or it's shrouded in inauthenticity. And that's an exhausting way to live. Nobody wants that legacy. These men, these lepers, have been relegated to the outside quarters of society. Another word for relegated would be quarantined. They're prohibited from human relationship. They're caused to live in isolation. Leviticus 13, the law about lepers, gives us a snapshot into the kind of lives these men lived. I want you to hear what Leviticus 13 says. If you have leprosy, anyone with such a defiling disease, defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt. Some of you got that memo. Sorry. Let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, as they enter the outskirts of society. As long as they have the disease, they must live alone outside the camp. So the lepers experienced more than physical pain. They experienced the pain of isolation. But rather than being identified by their issue, even though the law and society identified them by their issue, but instead of them being identified by their issues or pain, they came to the one who could change everything. You want to be changed from the inside out? Instead of being identified by your issue, come to the one who can change everything. Number two, very simply, you need to know that Jesus is greater than your issue. He's not impressed. And he sees it all. He's greater than your issue. These men whose names we do not know went to the one whose very name is infinitely greater than their issue. The lepers cry for mercy. Jesus, have mercy. Some of you need to find that cry. 
They were aware of their issue. How do we know that? It's the reason they stood at a distance. They knew what their issue was, but they knew Jesus had the ability to heal them. They cry for mercy, and Jesus sends them to the priest. Why? Because it's the priest that would determine, according to the law of Moses, which we read in Leviticus 14, whether or not they've been healed of leprosy. So nine of the lepers follow Jesus' instruction, and they're made clean. The word there for made clean is cartharizo. It's where we get the word catheter. It means to be made pure. Ten lepers were freed from their issue. But Jesus wanted to go deeper than freeing them from their issue. Number three, you want to be renovated from the inside out? You have to know you're not identified by your issue. Number two, you have to know Jesus is greater than your issue. And number three, you have to know that Jesus will always go beneath the surface of our issue. Most of us in this room don't have spots on our skin, but we have secret spots. Spots on our souls. Issues of insecurity, secret struggles, internal chaos, comparison, bitterness, unforgiveness, secrets, things held in the darkness. Secret spots that cause us to hide behind the performance that everything's okay. We resolve to keep things where no one can see. We hide because, and we like it because it keeps people from seeing who we really are. But the problem is when we're behind a facade, we're behind a veil, not only does it keep people from seeing us how we really are, but it keeps us from seeing God how he really is. So the veil, the facade doesn't work. Shame causes us to hide behind it. It puts us behind the veil. And we come to church, but we don't really let the presence of God invade our issue. We're either too scared, too disappointed, or too afraid of being disappointed that we stay behind the facade. We avoid being who we really are because we don't want to be seen. And it's why Jesus said to them, go show yourselves. Because for us to be healed from the inside out, we have to be really seen. It's how God designs it. That's really good. I'm going to download my own teaching. We come home from work physically, but we stay at work emotionally. The ten lepers needed to go first to be seen by Jesus. Jesus, have mercy. And then he says, that's the first step. Now go be seen by the priests. And they were healed along the way. They decided to take the step. Why? Because they said, I would rather die trying to be whole than, than live in this half-hearted, miserable experience. Our only secret place. Listen, the Lord spoke this to me so clearly a couple months ago. He said, Terry, your only secret place should be in the place of prayer, under his shadow. No secrets. We've got to resolve to be seen. No secret struggles. But intimacy is only created by proximity. We think it's unsafe to come out from behind the facade and to be seen as we really are. So instead, we hide behind an image of what we want people to think we are on the outside. But the problem is we're dying on the inside, just like the church in Sardis. 
The dangers of isolation are much greater than the risk of intimacy. The nine lepers were content to be freed externally, but there was one who wanted to be free on the inside. Luke 15 so, excuse me, 17, 15, and 16, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Only the Samaritan turns back to praise God and thanks Jesus. And thanks Jesus. The word there for giving thanks to Jesus literally translates, he falls at his feet. And what's the result? Our fourth point. He makes us whole. Do you want just a little bit of touching on the outside? Right? The Lord meets us in those encounters. I love the move of God. I love to see people full of the Holy Spirit. I love to see people even slain in the Spirit. I love to see the Lord minister uh, mysteries through prophecy. But I want you to understand he's after the ones that say, as much as I want that, I want you to go all the way in and renovate me from the inside out and make me whole. Jesus asked, were not others cleansed? Weren't there ten of you? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give me praise except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Well, the nine followed the law. They followed what Jesus was telling them to do, but only one fell at his feet. Maybe the nine were more aware of the law since they were Jews. Maybe they knew that they were supposed to go show themselves to the priest. Maybe they knew that they had to show themselves to the priests. They had to go according to the law. But this one, the Samaritan, the foreigner, understood that there was one greater than the law on the scene. There was one greater than Moses. The scripture says, but once perfection has come, that which is imperfect passes away. And it did for that Samaritan. All nine were cleansed. All ten were cleansed. The nine were touched externally. They got the prophetic word. They were slain in the spirit. They experienced the waters and the winds and the fire of revival. But only one was made whole. One was made whole. The word whole there is sozo. It means to be made whole, fully well. Salvationing, healing, and delivering experiencing that in the presence of God and operating in it. What does it mean to be made whole or fully well? It's true renovation from the inside out. See, that Samaritan was provoked by what he saw on Jesus. And even though he wanted his issue touched, once he saw the kindness, the fire, the beauty in his eyes, he couldn't go to a priest when there was one in his midst that was greater. Do you want all that he has? Ooh, I'm distracted. I can't even see your shirt anymore, but I saw you during worship. The man wearing the frosty t-shirt. Will you stand? You don't want to? There you are. I was looking at the wrong guy, see? <laughs> so I looked back at you, and this t-shirt says frosty. Is it frosty the snowman? Yes? <laughs> He's turning your season. Because you've been willing to wear the garment appropriate for the season he's taking you. There is, some, like, I looked back at you during worship, and it's good that I can't see your face. 
I don't know why. That's just what I feel like the Lord just told me. I look back at you at worship, during worship, and it was like I was jealous for what's inside of you. He wants to let it out, my brother. I'm talking about revival fire when you just walk in a room. But the season's been so hard, and people laugh. Why are you wearing a T-shirt when it's warm out with a snowman on it? And I want you to know it's because you have stood in a way that you know God in a moment, like according to the book of Job, can change a season. And you have stood in faith, but your heart's been broken. He wants to touch it all because gratitude is like the Samaritan. When everyone else is going about what you're supposed to do after you've been touched on the outside, you're going to throw your, yourself at him and say, I'll never leave that one because he changed everything. Man of God, I'm man of God, man of God, man of God, I have no idea how you're living right now, but I know who I can feel the presence of God. Preach, teach prophesy, heal, deliver. You are the first fruits in your family in many ways. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this man of God. I thank you for who he is. And I thank you that just like you told Ruth to change the mourning garment, and she wasn't sure she was done mourning. She changed it because she trusts the one that said, I'm calling you into something new. Bless you, my brother. I wish I could know you. Amen. About a year and a half ago, you can sit, stand, run around, prophesy, whatever you want to do. He loves you. You're a big deal to God. A big deal. About a year and a half ago, I had a date with Bishop Tony and Denise. We sat in our cafe, and for two hours, we just got to know each other. They kept trying to ask about me. I wanted to know about them. And as they talked, I just kept saying over and over, I had no idea today was going to be this. There is a testimony that this man carries about what I'm talking about that I believe is going to unlock things. I didn't know he was going to be here tonight till yesterday, or was it last night? Night before. Anyway, recently, since I was with you last, the Lord sent him, and the Lord wants to minister to you. And, and I'm talking about bring freedom. So Bishop Tony, come. You can stand up here. You can stand down there. Whatever you want to do. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands right now. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. Boy, there's a glory that's in here right now. I said there's a glory that's in here right now. Somebody's being healed right now. Just receive your healing. Receive your healing. There's a healing, there's a healing anointing that's here right now before I share. I just feel such an anointing that's in this place right now. You came to the right place at the right time on the right night. And I believe that God has something for you. And I want to share. You can put your hands down. You know, I, I just met the pastor tonight. I just met him tonight. And, and I wanted to go to him and say, now, who is your wife? Because last night, as I was, uh, last night, me and Pastor Terry, uh, we shared about what was going on here. I didn't know she was going to be here. But I, the Lord just showed me, um, I could just, see, I couldn't see her face, but I knew it was his wife. And, and I wanted to pray for her. So where's she at? Right here. Stand up. Hallelujah. Because, because God is going to strengthen you. You give out so much and you pour out so much. And you have been saying, God, well, what about me? 
What about really uniquely pouring in me? Well, tonight is your night that God is going to pour new strength into you and new revelation. And I'm telling you something, you're going to see things different than you've ever seen before. And God is going to send hurting, broken women into this ministry. And they're going to come in there and you're going to lay your hands on them. And God is going to miraculously deliver them and set them free by the power of God. Would you lift your hands? Father, I thank you right now. Babe, go down there and just uh, lay your hands on her. Father, I pray right now. Oh, Shata, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would touch this powerful woman of God and renew, I pray for renew, renew her strength, renew her passion, renew her strength right now in the name of Jesus. She'll dream again. She'll see again. She'll see fresh things again. Her excitement and joy, oh, in the name of Jesus. Somebody come on and clap your hands and praise God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> one, of the, one of the reasons why there can be no lasting revival, I believe, in the body of Christ is because I think that people have gotten caught up in preachers and not in God. And so people think that if revival is to come, it's to come through a preacher. But I'm telling you, every one of you that's sitting in this seat, you carry the ability to bring revival. Not only to your home, but to this church. And if this church is going to be great, you have a great pastor. I like him. I like just meeting him tonight. I love his attitude. I love, he's very warm. He has a spirit of hospitality. But when we pulled up here, um, and we parked across the street, we begin to feel something in our truck that God is doing something very uniquely here. I want to share with you because one of, the, one of the issues is people, they carry hurt. They carry hurt and pain in their lives. And like the leopards who have been told all of their lives that they're unclean and they don't qualify for God to use them, that's where a lot of people in the body of Christ is right now. I know about that because I know about a life full of pain. I know a life full of sorrow. I know a life full of abuse. My mother died when I was seven years old. She was tragically killed in a car accident. She was 33 years old on her way back from taking my father to work. On her way back as, as the car crashed and she was laying in, the, in her own blood, drowning in her own blood, my 13-year-old brother was holding her. And in that place in Detroit where we're from, um, it was a predominantly, it was a neighborhood that black people didn't live in that neighborhood. Now, forgive me for not being politically correct tonight, so uh, here I is. Amen. <laughs> and so my, my father and mother moved us into this neighborhood, and they wanted the best for their kids. And as my brother laid there holding his dying mother, 33 years old, people were rolling down the windows, and they were throwing cans out the windows screaming, let that nigger die. Let her die. And they were screaming, they were partying, they were blowing their horns, screaming, let the nigger die. And I remember on the night that Martin Luther King was killed in 1968, my brother wouldn't talk about what happened in the accident or whatever. But that night that Detroit was on fire, my brother rolled down, my brother turned the TV off, and he began to tell us that story. I was 10 years old at the time, and I immediately in my heart felt if I can ever grow up, 
I'm going to kill all white people. When I turned 12 years old, I got on drugs and alcohol, and I got in gangs on the streets of Detroit. At that time, Detroit was the murder capital of the world. But when I turned 13 year, when I turned 15 years old, on March 28, 1973, I met a man who set me free. I met a man who wasn't a black God or a white God, but I met a man who was God, and his name is Jesus. I, 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 my life was so troubled, and those of you, if you may know or may not know, but when you get when you get saved and you get out of gangs, you don't just walk out of gangs and say, okay, I'm saved, now I got to go. You, you get out of gangs one way, they find you dead somewhere. And so the school tried to let me out early to go um, home to get away from all of this danger. And so I could, they couldn't protect me anymore, so I went into the service. When I went into the service in the Army, they put us in a predominantly white barracks, um, in a white platoon, and every night there was three of us young kids, and they're 17 years old, and we were threatened to be raped every night. We were threatened to be beaten up every night. They would punch us and beat us. Two of them went AWOL, and I had a nervous breakdown at 17 years old. And so the hate just, be I, I was loving God, but I thought, God, what can you do in my life to make a difference? I heard a man preach one night that God wants to use your pain to bring glory to him. And what a lot of people are missing tonight, there's a lot of people here that you have your own story. You have your own pain. A lot of you, like myself, my pastor tried to molest me when I was 15 years old. Oh, I've been through pain in my life. And it would be very easy for me to be locked up in jail. It would be very easy for me to be hateful and hate all people. But let me tell you something. I heard a message when I was 16 years old that God wants to take your pain and he wants to bring glory out of your pain. And the devil don't like that. What the devil wants you to do is sit there and hold on to your pain and be like the lepers that, that have been told so long that they're nothing and they're worthless, that it's easy to sit on your pain. And so the church world today is sitting by and the devil is going crazy in our society. And the church is quiet. Not because we don't have preachers that's preaching. But because people that's in the seat with a testimony of what God has done in their life. They're not sitting and they're not using their testimony to bring glory to God. But I made up my mind. I made up my mind when I was 16 years old. And I prayed and asked God if there's a way for you to bring glory out of this mess. I am willing to give my life for you to have glory in my life. And I believe that God sent me here tonight to pray for somebody who may have gone through pain. Maybe you've gone through molestation. Maybe you have gone through some kind of horrible childhood. Maybe you grew up in a time or maybe you grew up in a situation like I had where you had, where you had something happen to you that perverted your spirit and made you not want to do anything for God. But you came on the right night tonight because God is not only going to set you free, but God is going to use you to bring glory to him. Somebody say amen, somebody. My wife, me and my wife, my wife was from a twice-divorced home, broken home. So you're looking at two troubled kids, two high school dropouts. 
she had a baby when she was 17. I got her pregnant when, when, we, when she was 18. And here we are. We got married when we was 18. Two very troubled kids. What could come out of that? People gave us six months. They said it wouldn't last six months. But next month, a month from today, it will be 44 years that we've been married. Oh, bless God. Oh, bless God. Oh, bless God. So what do you do with two troubled kids that has nothing to bring to the table? And I'm talking to somebody. Because your life could be a life that the enemy is saying to you, you bring nothing to the table. You have too much pain. You have too much hurt. Well, here's what we did. We didn't have money to give. We didn't have education to have money to give. So what we chose to do, we chose to take our lives and become living seeds. We became living seeds. And we said, God, we don't have money, but we have us. And so we planted ourselves in ministry. And everywhere that I've gone and traveled all over the world, this troubled kid from Detroit is now traveling all over the world. And everywhere we go, I would pray for men and women who's been through molestation. What am I trying to say? Your testimony should be used to touch somebody else that's gone through what you've gone through. You want revival? Let people that's gone through a, a hardship, let somebody who's gone through a divorce, let somebody who's gone through molestation, let somebody who's gone through abandonment, learn how to minister to somebody else just like you. And all over the world, we pray for men and women who's been through molestation. All over the world, we pray for kids that were high school dropouts. All over the world, we pray for kids that's come from divorced homes and broken homes. Why? We use our life as a living seed to pray for somebody else. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Hallelujah. Because in this church, in this awakening, just like the one leopard that said, I have to go back and tell Jesus thank you for delivering me. I believe that there's somebody here that needs to be delivered, that needs to bring that pain, that pain that you've been covering, that pain that you've been holding on to, that pain that you've been covering up, not wanting people to see the real you. What I'm telling you right now, He's the God, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, he said he's the God of all comfort. Watch this, and then I'm going to pray. He's the God of all comfort who comforts us in any trouble that we may be able to comfort somebody else that is in any trouble with the, com with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted of God. And so God wants to use your pain. To heal somebody else. He wants to use your testimony to minister to somebody else. There's no way on paper should a Tony and Denise Hall be world changers. One of the things that we're doing now that we retired, we're going across the country 
and we're ministering to hurting pastors and their wives. Because listen, pastors hurt too. Pastors are wounded too. And so we go across the country. We don't charge them anything. We don't, they don't have to pay for anything. We just go in and spend four days to minister to hurting leaders. Because the devil knows if he can get the leader, he can kill the church. And so I want to encourage you to pray for your pastors. Pray for them. Minister to them. Love on them. Tell them how great a job they're doing. Because in these days that we're living in now, they need it. So I want those of you that say, Bishop Hall, I want you to pray for me. I don't care what, you, what you've gone through. I don't care what your experience was. I don't care what pain that you've experienced. Maybe you're in the middle of a divorce right now. I feel that. Maybe you're in a, in a time where your marriage is broken and it, it doesn't seem like it can be fixed. I'm telling you something. The prayer of the righteous availeth much. And if you say, Bishop, I want you to pray for me, I want you to just make your way down here right now. We're not going to take a long time to do it, but I feel like God sent me here to pray for somebody. I want you to come. I, want you, I need people to pray right now because there's people that, that want to come and need to come, but the enemy don't want you to come. I want to pray for you. Where you at? Come on. I want to pray for you. I don't care what your situation is. I only shared just a real little part of my testimony, but I think it was enough. Because we heard enough word here tonight that's going to change your life forever. Whatever you experience, whatever you've gone through. And you say, Bishop, I want you to pray for me. I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray for you right now. Because I feel like there's something. I feel like there's some more people. I'm not going to take a long time to do this, but I feel like there's some more people. The Lord is tugging on my heart that there's some, some more people. Hallelujah. Would you lift your hands right now? Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Come on. I see you coming. Come on. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's the enemy that's talking to you right now that you don't need to come. But listen, your testimony is so powerful. And the enemy is, is, the enemy is beating you up with your testimony. He's beating you up. Thank you, sir. He's beating you up with your testimony. But you need to be here. You need to be here. You need to come. You need to come. Say, tonight is my night. Tonight is my night. Tonight is my night. Tonight is my night. I don't hear you praying. Will you pray? If you have a heavenly language, would you, would you pray right now? Because there's some people that really want to come. But I feel the tugging and I feel the pulling. 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 I, I feel the pulling. I feel the torment. I come against that right now in the name of Jesus. I come against that right now in the name of Jesus. I come against fear. I come against intimidation. Come on. I come against intimidation in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Will you pray right now? Come on. I'm, I need to take a few more seconds, but I just I feel the Holy Spirit really tugging on me. Come on. It's not too late. Come on. I want to pray for you right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's some of you that's been savage in your life. There's some of you that's been savage in your life. Come on. That's right. Thank you, sir. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. You've been savage in your life. And people don't understand why you are like you are. But nobody knows your story. I wrote a book called The Ten Things I Wish My Father Had Taught Me. And one of the things is everybody has their own story. 
Nobody understands your story but you. But God understands your story. And he understands where you come from. Hallelujah. I'm going to give you 10 more seconds and then I'm going to pray. But I just really sense there's something happening in here, Pastor Terry. There's something powerful happening in here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want those of you that are standing down here, I want you to look up here. Let me just say something to you. I stand with all of you today. I stand with all of you today. You are the world changers. You are the world changers. No matter where you come from. No ma oh, come here. I, I need to pray for you right now. Lift your hands. Oh, there's a healing. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Yes, yes. In the name of Jesus. This is your son, God. I thank you for the call that's on this. Oh, hallelujah. The torment. I come against the torment, the torment, the torment, the torment. The devil's alive, my brother. Oh, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Even as a child, the enemy is always trying to destroy you. But in the, oh, in the name of Jesus. God is going to go back to that very day where it started. He's going to heal that broken boy. In the, oh, in the, in the, oh, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lift your hands in the name of Jesus. The Lord is touching your body right now, my brother. Oh, yeah, Kandaya. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah, he's touching your body right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He's healing you from the inside out. In the name of Jesus, lift your hands, hallelujah, hallelujah. How old are you, young man? How old are you? Uh, 39. 39. In the name of Jesus. I come against anger. I come against the spirit of rejection. I come against abandonment. In the name of Jesus. I come against the orphan spirit. He is your father, young man. He is your father. Hallelujah. And he's going to prove himself to be your father. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Pastor, I'm going to be done in a minute. In the name of Jesus, lift your hands. In the name of Jesus, I pray healing right now from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The enemy said you'll never be anything, but I rebuke that right now. I pray greatness on your life. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray greatness. I pray greatness right now. In the name of Jesus, open your mouth and give God praise right now. I pray greatness on your life. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Brokenness.
brokenness. Young lady, listen. God's hand is on your life. You hear me? God's hand is on your life. And you're going to be a testimony to young girls and young broken girls about what God can do. And one of these days, I want to encourage you to write a book because you have a story to tell. And your story is going to shock people when they look at what God has brought you out of. And so the greatness that's on you, come, babe, come, babe. Lift your hands. Hallelujah. The days of shame is over. The days of shame is over. In the name of Jesus, the days of shame is over. Freedom in Jesus' name. Somebody holler freedom right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for taking that bold step to walk out tonight. Thank you for taking that bold step. Listen, I, 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 see, I see a man that has walls on every side. Because you're great at building walls. Because that's the only thing that can protect your heart. But the walls are coming down tonight. The walls are coming down tonight. Because there's a freedom that you're going to walk in. There's a freedom when you sleep. All the torment in your dreams, all the torment in your sleep is going to be gone. In the name of Jesus. Freedom in an every wall, every wall. The walls coming down right now. In the name The walls are coming down tonight. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, just lift your hands up a little high. The walls, yeah, God wants to tear those walls down. He wants to break every wall. Hallelujah. Because one thing that me and you have in common, we know how to build walls. Because we felt if we can build walls, it can keep the people that's been abusing us out. But in the name of Jesus, your walls are coming down. Because the world needs your story. The world needs your testimony. In Jesus' name. I wish somebody would clap your hands and give God praise. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. God has not given you the spirit of fear. And every lie the devil's told to you. You're going to wake up in the mornings and you're going to hear a voice from God that's speaking you to how much he loves you. Because the lies you've been heard ever since you were a child, every lie that you've heard is nothing but a lie. And that's why when they sing that song that he loves me, it's so hard for you to sing that. Because you have been saying, how can anybody love this? Well, I'm telling you something. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Oh, he loves you. Feel that love right now. Oh, feel that love right now. Feel that love right now. 
Now begin to worship God and praise God for him loving you because you're going to hear a new voice now. Hallelujah. Oh, you know, it's amazing because when praise and worship was going on, Pastor, I just came over and hugged. Um, I just, Laney, I, ju I just came over and hugged her and I feel such greatness on her life. I, I feel greatness in her life. And, and Pastor, I feel that her worship is going to set so many people free. God is going to do something in her life that as she worships, people are going to see her. Oh, people are going to see her worship. People are going to see her worship. There's greatness on you. There, Laney, there's greatness on you. I said there's greatness on you. Oh, somebody come on, give God praise right now. Greatness on you. You don't have to be afraid. Today, it's over now. It's over today. It's over. You don't have to be afraid anymore. It's over today. The battle and the war is over today. God has heard your prayer. He's seen your tears. He's seen your private tears. People see one thing in the daylight, but they don't see at night. And God has seen your tears. And things are changing now. In the name of Jesus, lift your hands. He's changing things right now. You'll never be the same after tonight. Hallelujah, because he's changing things right now. In the name of Jesus. Touch right now. Move in a special way. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Somebody come on and clap your hands and give God praise right now. Oh, come on, give God praise right now. Come, Pastor. What an amazing time that God has called you. What an, what an amazing time. He saved the end of time to call you. God has given you this city. And I'm telling you something. There's people that's going to come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And the desires of your heart to build a multicultural church, God is going to honor that. And they are going to come from the north, the south. Hallelujah. They're going to come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. They're going to be rich and poor. They're going to be people that's coming from the ghetto. And guess what? As the anointing flow, you're going to see lives change. You're going to see the Lazarus generation. The generation that was dead. And they're going to come alive. And their praise is going to be so explosive. It's going to change the way your church does church. Your church is about to change forever in Jesus' name. Somebody clap those hands and give God praise right now. All right. Can we have the worship team come? This is what we're going to, how we're going to close. And I think you're, I'm sure Pastor Paul will come back. But Pastor Paul and Wendy need to see this. If you want to encounter God, I'm talking about 
the times of refreshing that he wants to give his church. And I'm going to ask you to just make your way to the front and press in. Not waiting for anyone to do it for you. We are having the worship team come. But if you want an encounter with God, I'm talking about the kind that changes everything. We're going to spend these next few moments pressing in, crying out, letting the Lord know that we need him, showing ourselves to him fully that he can touch us from the inside out. Hey, listen, while the band's getting ready, I just need you, just, let me just instruct you for a second. Everybody that was in this line, and this is for those of you who honestly question God's methods, okay? Because I know he's taking us to another level. It's a little weird in a great way. I need you to know this. Everybody that was in this line tonight, I know, and I know their stories, except for the first and the last. Every single thing you said nailed those people. Nailed them. You, you, as, you as a skeptic need to hear me tell you, if you get caught up on the method, you're going to miss the moment. And that was a moment. And what you just said to me,
All right, and now I'm going to pray over you. I want to commission you. And here's how we're going to do it. Can y'all hear me okay? I promise I'm not going to preach. I just need to tell you this really quickly. Um, and then I'll pray over you and commission you. So in the, in the last days, there's going to be a remnant. You heard that word? Um, maybe we'll talk more about this on Sunday. I won't do it now. But today, I just spent time hanging out with Jesus on the word remnant. And in John chapter 6, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, which was really about 20,000 people, at the end of that miracle, he gave a command to his disciples. He said, go pick up the broken pieces so that nothing is wasted. Terry, didn't y'all do an awakening called nothing is wasted? I think she's, are you worried? Is that what you're wearing right now? Oh, I was trying to tie it all together. Way to go, God. Anyway, um, so Jesus says, go pick up the broken, go pick up the pieces, the leftover pieces so that nothing is wasted. The Greek word for pieces means remnant. Yeah, gather the pieces. Right, right, right. It's the next verse that blew me out of the water. He said, when he told me that, they went and they picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. But here's how it's worded in the New Living Translation. They went and picked up the scraps left by the people. Everything that y'all have talked about tonight is about rejection. And, I, and, and like loneliness and like, oh God, why am I where I am? You've, the remnant only comes through brokenness. Everybody, every piece of that bread that got fallen down to the ground was, it was being used by people. And some of us in this place have been used by people and left by people as scraps. And the word for scraps is remnant y'all I know the Statue of Liberty says something like bring your huddled masses the kingdom says bring your hurting masses they're coming here they're part of the remnant that brings in the end of time the broken people and so if you're here today and that's you I just want to commission you so you need to put your hands up because if your life is jacked up and messed up and broken up, then you're qualified to be in the remnant. So put your hands up. I don't know when we'll make a t-shirt with this on it, but this means war. And war is W-A-R. And war stands for we are revival. Right? We are remnant. We are at war, and he's going to commission you into the battle. All right? So hands up. Father, I thank you for what you've done on the last four days. And I thank you that it's only a beginning. And so I commission everybody here tonight to take the gospel to the city. I decommission everybody tonight from expecting me to do it alone. And I commissioned them to a new leader, to King Jesus. Literally, the senior pastor at the gathering is Jesus. He's on our org chart. And we say yes to his leadership tonight. I commission you into the army of God in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Oh, we're not done at the gathering. We're never done. Y'all, I don't even talk in front of people a lot, but I, but I know I did it last night. I know I did it, but, but y'all, like seriously. Okay, God gave me this verse. God has laid this on my heart, and I was, um, I don't even remember who was, I know it was Miss Terry speaking, but Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes in, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. Okay, I have to I have to tell you this is so exciting. Okay, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And I don't know if y'all even realized it or not, but there was wind tonight and their tree the trees weren't moving. They weren't moving. I kept looking. I was like, oh this is wind, this is the Holy Spirit. I got chills. Like this is the Holy Spirit. And I kept waiting for like the big sound. But I like literally he just told me the sound is coming. Paul was praying and and, and every oh my goodness Bishop was saying like that they're gonna come from the east, west, north, and south. Okay, listen to what happened after that windstorm. Yeah, we know, blah blah blah, right? But then when they heard the loud noise, I know, no, no, I did, but okay, but get to this part. When they heard the loud noise, God's getting ready to do a loud noise with the Holy Spirit. Okay, when they heard the loud noise. Everyone came running. So the word that has been spoken over us tonight, like that's it. Like it was from the Bible. Okay, the, they came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And I know, yes, that's tongues and I, I get it. But we're, they're about to hear the Holy Spirit speaking in their own language, their own broken and it may not mean tongues necessarily, but their own brokenness that we are going. I mean, Bishop came and he doesn't even really know us. And I have to tell you guys, I don't even know if you guys remember, I met you, I think it was about seven years ago, brought my little girl to um, uh, Shriners. I was taking her to Shriners. She was 11, and we had a major accident, but a, a piece of metal ran up under our car. It destroyed our car. I pulled over to, to a service stop, and y'all came in, and you went, this is what you told me. I was with Lizzie, come here, because they may recognize you if they don't recognize me. I don't know, but y'all were there, and y'all said, the Lord told us to stop here. Do y'all need help? But she was hungry. And you went to McDonald's for us. I know it was you. I mean, I don't know if you remember it or not, but when I saw it, I was like, I literally told him, I was like, that is them. And I told him, I mean, I told him that night of what happened. But it was y'all. And you're here tonight. I mean, my, my mouth is just, I don't know if you remember it or not, but it was you told us literally the Lord told us to stop and I really feel like that is that was just the Lord speaking bringing you here and like a breakthrough it was a breakthrough in my personal life wow wow
Church as usual is so boring. This is fantastic. That was the craziest story. And when she said that you said to them, God told us to stop, I mean, I've just met you tonight, and I have no doubt that's exactly what happened. Because I'm sure you're hearing from God. Man, I know you're hearing from God. Thank you, by the way, for just coming and sharing with us tonight. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, so just again, as we're getting ready to wrap up, the, the practical ending speech, right? As you're heading out, if you're heading out that way, they're going to be, I think it's Cecil and Debbie are going to be back there. They're already there. They're going to hold up those sheets of paper. Now, we realized last night, it can be a little bit intimidating to take your phone out and walk up to another human being and point it at them. I mean, people do it all the time, but just do it. They've got QR codes. And listen, it's so simple. If you point that, that camera, your phone at the QR code, it's going to open up your text app with the keyword already in it. So if Jesus has touched you tonight, I want you to use the top QR code. It's going to open up your app, your, your text messaging app. It's going to have the keyword Jesus there. You're still going to have to actually hit the button that sends the text. And then we're going to know that we can stay in touch with you and just encourage you beyond the moment, right? If you've never been baptized, at our church, the gathering we're baptizing this Sunday, we're filling the tank trusting that people will want to get baptized because it's a good thing to get baptized right adios sin hello new life second qr code if you scan that with your camera it'll do the same thing but with baptism just make sure you hit that button to send the text and if you want to partner with us financially um we we don't even take up offerings at church we just got boxes in the back and people put money in it so i'm the last person to take up an offering all of this has been paid for by the tithes that are given at the gathering this is why we exist, right? We don't put the money in the bank so it can draw interest. That's stupid. We use the money to bring the kingdom to Albemarle. So the people at the gathering that faithfully give, you have made this happen. Are you with me? So whether you give or not, we do it again tomorrow, right? We're, we're probably not, but I'm just saying. But if you want to partner with us, that third QR code, if you just scan that, what that will do is open up your mobile browser on your phone to our giving page, and you can put in whatever amount you feel led, you know, five, ten, a hundred thousand dollars, whatever. Hey, Russ. There's the visual that I probably needed five minutes ago. You're awesome. Okay, you good? Because I'm just going to say amen, and they're going to start playing. And now listen. You don't have to leave. You can stay and talk as long as you want. Somebody will take your chair and put it in that truck. But that doesn't mean you have to leave. Because uh, the sign of a healthy church and the sign of a healthy city is when people don't rush off when things are over, but they stay and talk and connect and pray for each other beyond the moment. Right? Okay? All right. So, Father, thank you for your amazing, amazing promises that you've given us this week. The way you have confirmed things that you have spoken to us in secret places, I can testify that tonight you have confirmed for me things that nobody in here knows about. And it's just an evidence of the great God you are. And I'm so, God, we're so full of joy. We're so full of passion. And we want to go and use it for the kingdom. Go with us, Lord, as we leave this place. Change our city. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.